Well, welcome to the Situation Report. This is the roundtable discussion for Wednesday, January 17th. And troopers in the house. We're waiting for Colonel yeah. Conrad. Not sure if Matt Bracken's going to be jumping on this show, but uh, it's an open invitation for uh, for Matt if and when he's got the time to jump on. Um, I talked to uh, Jordan Sather this week. We're trying to adjust. We may adjust this a day or so next week in order to get um, Jordan Sather to sit on the roundtable. The, the whole point of the exercise is to, to mix up the roundtable and get uh, a wide variety of opinions to to come on the show and to um, do um, not just analysis, but just break down what's going on week to week because there's so much happening at any one time. It's it's super super hard to just keep up with daily events, especially when uh, you know. It's like every week is some new some new craziness. But uh, so we're I'm trying to mix it up. Um, I've been chatting with a lot of different people over the last couple of days uh, to try and schedule out a few weeks. And again, next week we'll have uh, somebody that's uh, airline pilot, another lieutenant colonel, will be jumping on the the, the round table with us. Um, so it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. And there is Matt Bracken. Although Matt does not have. <laughs> does not have any audio, which is par for the course. So it is a typical Tech Wednesday, but a lot going on in the news today. Uh, we're going to touch on, we're going to touch on a number of different things, but I want to read something before I get started, because I think it's very, very, it's a good way to start the show. This is, this is from the Declaration of Independence. Such has been the patience, patient sufferance of these colonies. And such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former system of government. The history of the present king of the Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid word. I think that a candid world, sorry. I think that is a an appropriate way to start the show because uh, Troop Troop brought this to my attention before I started the show, and I got to tell you, that is a uh, that is an amazing and accurate description of what we're seeing right now. So, Troop, you want to uh, you want to chime in on that one? Yeah, I do. So I started not rewriting, but kind of modernizing the unanimous declaration of independence. And I want you guys to go to Wikipedia and I want you to look up the declaration of independence. There's a bunch of countries that have them. We're talking about the United States of America and no need to read all the cursive in there, which I've rewritten this whole thing in cursive actually. But, um, with a with a plume with a dip pen indeed so but the part i want you to to scroll down to is they have different sections and on wikipedia it's just as good of a place to go and you have the introduction and the preamble which needs no changes whatsoever if you read the preamble it is exactly what we're pissed off about today but then go down to what are called the indictments and the indictments are all of the grievances that the framers of our constitution and the founders of our of our republic had declared against the king and the king now is a corrupt 
executive, judicial, and, and legislative bodies that we relied upon for checks and balances to prevent all this from happening. But when you go down the list of grievances, every single one of them from uh, judges that don't have uh, jurisprudence or judicial independence to denying, uh, you know, fair trials to like the J6, uh, you know, political prisoners to uh, delegating things that are our sovereign right and controlled under the Constitution to, to third parties like the WEF or NATO. Uh, every single one of those grievances in the, in the original Declaration of Independence, it almost seems by design that they're trying to violate every single one of those. They're, they're doing exactly every single one of those things right now. So uh, Matt's coming on, so I'm going to have him kind of kind of chime in on that. But it's just amazing. So I'm modernizing the language of that and kind of like the uh, statement of military accountability. I think it's time for a, a statement of um, governance accountability. So that's that's what we're working on over there in the Trooper channel. Hey, Matt, can you hear me? Yes, a little little bit in a Dixie cup, but we can hear you. Oh, wait a second. I got to, uh, I'm just hooking things up here. No worries, man. Uh, Take time. It's not a good uh, Wednesday afternoon without 30 minutes of cursory IT setup. Yeah. I threatened my, uh, I threatened my keyboard with a handgun earlier. Yeah, if you, if you look like if you, if you've got a slick production, then you look like one of these, you know, uh, page shills. one of these page shills, uh, <laughs> which we could mention, we could like, we could put on the table. You name one, I'll name one. Oh, I could go. We could be here all day just doing that. So I just yeah. read the preamble Here's to, the to the Declaration uh. of Independence because I thought it was a good way to start the show today because everything we're seeing across our our government is literally right off the Declaration of Independence. And, uh, you know, it, we'll, we'll dive into the Davos situation and Jamie Dimon. I knew somebody was going to ask you about Jamie Dimon. We'll, we'll dive into the, uh, the whole World Economic Forum, Davos crowd, there's there's tons to talk about there and then we'll talk about iowa the other night and then we'll talk about disease x which has dominated the, the oh, conversation yeah, yeah I, I would i put i how's this sound i just picked up the microphone and instead of laying it on the table while i'm like much clicking better, and much better much better, better. Much better. <laughs> yeah the the um the the disease x i uh gosh it should be on the tip of my tongue but um Disease X is like basically the next gambit for a fear factor. So you can tell they have to, they have to, they have to keep doubling down on the fear factor because people aren't buying the, the, uh, Shisa, right. They're just not buying it. So they yeah. got to keep doubling down. But the part that, you know, part that worries me is that the Chinese may actually, if they have a, a racial component to this, they would not care if like a quarter of Chinese died as long as 90% of round eyes died. Well, let's, let's put that in terms that, that people can understand and uh, a bigger picture. So China's view, China's view of total war is even information war is they will burn their own population if it achieves one of their aims and they would absolutely do this. I think the other side of that, I'm glad you actually said that the other side of this is I've made the assumption when I heard about that, that they took the research that they found in Ukraine and got from the Russians that we were doing in the bio labs there as well as across the planet yeah. and then started yeah. doing race, race specific 
Yes, race specific. Like, and and even dialogues. and even drilling down like Slav versus Anglo-Saxon. Oh, you, more you, than just Asian, African, you know, uh, uh, Caucasian. It was they were looking at like Slav versus Euro. Well, Michael Yon said to me a few weeks back. Um, we were talking. Um, I think we were just talking via signal, and he said uh, that he had dinner with two Honduran generals who said the big plan is China wants to take over everything. They want to. They want to occupy every part of the world. This would be right in line with that. This would be the long game where they kill off the populations and then they just assume the land. Because well, let's face it, when you not... have when you have absolutist tyrannies, you know, totalitarian tyrannies, you you get into you know what we call in the West, in ter- you know, going back to like uh, French Revolution, purity spirals. But a purity spiral, you can see like in the Soviet Union. Only, and, I, and I'm sure China too, only because we're more familiar with the Soviet example, you get into absolute, absolutist echo chambers where, um, you know, when the dear leader is 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 stumbling through a speech, everybody, and, and I, I was a Russian studies major, it's called Ogromnia Aplaudirovat, like stormy applause. So the stormy applause could go on for like 10 minutes because nobody would be seen stopping clapping first yeah so when you get into a purity spiral in a totalitarian racial because and and jan calls them china you know uh chino nazis or uh that that they get into a racial purity spiral nobody in the room is going to say but don't you think just think it's wrong to like make a disease that wipes out the europeans i mean they gave us like beethoven and you know great cathedrals uh, the Bible, the printing press, it's like nobody's going to say that. Even if they're thinking it, they won't say it. Do you think any liberals would say that right now about the trans agenda? They're all in the same echo chamber, man. It's a, it's a, yeah, but, it's, the, but the liberals are right now, the liberals in America are on the back foot and they're, and they're uh, facing Trump, Trump again. Um, they're about to be on their ass too. But, it's, it's right. And, and the, the Chinese, though, there's, there's nobody saying otherwise. Um, they will they go for Taiwan? I think they'll do a, a blockade first. I don't think they're going to do a D-Day, but yeah, they 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 would absolutely unleash diseases if they thought this is the end result. This is the Chinese Fauci. He tells dear leader Chairman Z, this new one will wipe out seventy five percent of non Asians and twenty five percent of Asians, and they would say pedal to the metal, go for it. Oh, and I can see them taking out the more pesky sects of their own society too—the the Mongols, the Muslims, the Buddhists, whoever. Even know. if it's not that specific. Yeah. And, and when we're going back to Ukraine, they were talking about Slav versus Western European specific. So for sure, they're in that realm. You know, they're in that ballpark. You know, there's a there's a famous quote—not a quote, but it's an apocryphal story. Well, I, I'm not sure if Nixon was talking to Mao or maybe Chuan Lai. But Nixon was saying during the early diplomacy when when he went over there, like circa seventy two, uh, you know, we need you need to free the Chinese people. And Mao or Chu Enlai, I forget who said, "How many you want? We can send you ten million tomorrow." Right. So they do not give a damn about their people as like a thousand here, a million there. They don't care. 
I think Korea and Vietnam warfare is a good example of that. Just throw bodies at the enemy, let them stack up. Whatever. Well, and not only that, in the in in the Korean example, the Kuomintang, uh, which had lost when when uh, Chiang Kai Shek fled to uh, Taipei, Taiwan, Formosa. You know, only what a few percent got out, right? The rest were stuck in China. So all of the the KMT soldiers who were left after the the uh, you know the the um, communist takeover in in the you know late forties, they were the ones that were going to soak up machine gun bullets without a gun. It was like here's your chance to prove you're a loyal communist or die. So they it wasn't like random Chinese. They took their they took the ones that they thought yeah you fought for the Kuomintang you're going to be in the front line of the human wave. You know, Matt, I wanted to kind of respond to that because I I think all three of us have struggled with this whole honor duty country unequivocally, right? And as frustrated as we get, I remember several years ago, in fact, I stopped going to the Phoenix Art Museum because they had this display where the very first thing is you walk over an American flag on the on the threshold to get into this artwork quote display of just a bunch of desecrated American flags and it was infuriating to me. All of the the honor, duty, courage. I mean, I had no problem standing outside in a rainstorm at you know at Reveille where other other soldiers were like kind of running inside. Oh crap, we're gonna get we're gonna get caught. Uh, you know, at Reveille and retreat, having to salute the flag. So they would literally look for buildings to run into. And it used to piss me off, honor, duty, country, and died in the wool, patriot I am. And it pisses me off that these same people we're paying millions of dollars to are going to take a knee at a football game who, I mean, were raised by white parents as an orphan, right, or whatever. But there is a point where you realize with the defense industrial con, uh, uh, context of, of how we fight wars, right, and the corrupt politicians and all of the sacrifices that a lot of those servicemen made who literally believed in God, family, and country, that at some point you wake up and you realize that every single fucking thing that you ever believed in turned out to be bullshit. Or, and, or it's just been poisoned and subverted. Ex yeah, the so tree might have been a healthy tree when we were children. Time to take it back. But it's a, but poison, I, I, tree. It's a poison tree now. Yeah, it's well, been poisoned. That's the let's same let's transition. Because I water. Wait, before we before we transmission, I want to mention something. The the um, the Marines until like ten years ago did not authorize umbrellas. We going back to like running out at Reveille in the in hard rain. Marines did not carry umbrellas. That was for the sissy Air Force. Air Force could even Air Force pockets were or Air Force gloves were put in your hands in your pockets. Marines did not ever use Air Force pockets. Marines nope. did not carry umbrellas. No, they if didn't. it was raining, you got rained on. Period. Yep. And, it was called hard time. And but, they had they had uh, you know specific times of the year where they could roll their sleeves up or roll their sleeves down. That's it right. And now the, the Marines not only were authorized um, umbrellas, but it has gotten to the point, even in like you know Camp Lejeune, Camp Pendleton, where enlisted men will not stand up for an officer walking past them. Not much less stand up and salute. They will just basically mutter and look down like F you as officers walk past. This is a destroyed institution. I'm, I'm talking about the Marines. I'm sure it's as bad everywhere. I'm sure the Army and Air Force are worse. So I mean, if, if, if enlisted men 
are feel empowered now to basically they've been so full of DEI brainwashing that that they won't stand up for an officer walking past. You know they're not going to go into battle for that officer. Well, there's that, right? So yeah. I, I, what I want to transition to is that uh, I heard several things this week, which I think are true. Um, haven't confirmed any of them yet. One of them is that G is purging the military right now of officers who do not want to attack Taiwan and say they're not ready. And number two, he's purging anyone from the Communist Party that is saying they're not ready for an invasion of Taiwan. And my question is, what do you think the hurry is? Because I've heard estimates to 2026, 2027 is when they were really going to move into Taiwan and all the posturing was just to disrupt the politics. So, and by well, the way, I, let me answer something in the chat real quick. So we'll talk about the Davos crowd and Diamond in just a minute. I know you're itching to find out what we think. Um, there's a lot to talk about there, but we want to. I want to get through China because this is relevant to that conversation. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, the, the I saw a you know a normie military commentator on Fox or somewhere, and they were talking about you know the danger to Taiwan. So you know it's Fox, so they're coming from the at least semi-conservative point of view. Um, you know, since Biden is so weak, since we're strapped with a military trapped on you know in wrong theaters. Will China go for it? And the normie was saying it all depends on weather because the Formosa Strait is very fearsome. There's not good landing beaches. And for them to uh, invade, it has to be during like a certain weather window, like, you know, May, June only. And we would see them already starting to marshal forces. You can't hide it. You'd see all of these landing craft, et cetera, you know, uh, assault craft moving towards ports. But there's something that China could do, which, which is like uh, not normie, which is um, surge people towards fishing vessels and small freighters and just put them on like a human wave just going for the beach. And that could be done much faster than the, the American-style, you know, Desert Storm Normandy D-Day that you know, we're, we're like, it can't happen because they would need four months and we would see it. But if they are willing to take huge casualties, remember, because of their one-child policy, they've got too many men, right? They're, they're like, have no chance of ever marrying or having children. They, would, they wouldn't mind if like entire troop ships on a fishing boat got sunk. They wouldn't care because these, these um, wifeless, uh, familyless men are going to be a problem in China. So if they're victorious in another, you know, uh, invasion, fine. And if they're not, they're not coming home to, you know, upset the uh, domestic order. We'll make yeah. a monument. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a lot of plausibility to that. Um, and, and probability because they know we're watching and they know they've got satellites over their head. They also know that we're paying attention to comms over there too. And we would we would see an increase because in, it's not just logistics, right? It's all the communications around that, social media. They don't have the same problem with social media we do, but they still have things that yeah. get out. And I think but I think that I think that it would work for them, uh, it would be better for them to do a blockade than an invasion. If they do a blockade, it's like rope a dope. Then we have to go to rescue Taiwan. 
we have to get in their land-based missile range. You know, as opposed to in the midst of an invasion, we have submarines with tomahawks. They're not the greatest weapon or platform, but, you know, we could do a lot of damage. But a rope-a-dope strategy of, of a blockade, I think, would be better for them. Yeah, I just don't see them being ready right now, no matter what Xi is doing and purging. And, and then, I'm just saying I wouldn't I would not rule it out. I would not say this general said they can't do it because we would see it and they can only do it in June. I'm just saying don't count on that. Oh, I was um, going a different direction with that. I was going down the road of if he's purging his generals right now, it means they have to reset from a leadership perspective. And maybe you're right. Maybe they'll just throw human human wave after human wave until they take it. I mean, that's that that's in their wheelhouse. I, I just think it's interesting that he's purging the military ranks like Stalin did in the 30s, just before Operation Barbarossa, and how how that affected the Russians on the ground negatively. <laughs> once the once the invasion yeah, started in 1941, very negatively. Well, they're having the same problem in in Ukraine right now. They can't move. They've they've they're they are they they literally cannot move forward. All yeah, technology has caught up with maneuver warfare. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that that's and I don't I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of Ukraine right now because there's there's a lot to talk about. Let's let's transition to Davos because that's captured the public opinion for the last two days and and I don't know why, but there was two specific speeches today that people are talking about. First one was this morning with Jamie Dimon, and the second one was the um, Javier Milley. Yeah, Millie's um, speech about poverty and, you know, taking away the economic stimulus, economic engine from European countries. I, I'll just say this and I'll turn it over to you guys. The, the two minute and 45 minute soundbite that Tom Luongo posted on Twitter that made the rounds is it tells me three things. Remember, Davos this year is named Rebuilding Trust. So everything you see around that is is to sh is to show the public that there's a not just dissenting opinions, but there's opposing opinions. So it gives the perception that they're they're open to whatever is outside of their agenda, which is the farthest thing from the truth. What Jamie Dimon said today was similar to what he said last year about ESG, just before ESG died. But what what Jamie said today was out of fear, not out of fear just for himself, but he's expressing the fear that the elites have right now because they finally realized that they've lost the cultural narrative and they're never getting it back. Yeah. All their old bag of tricks that they've used to instill fear, to talk about public safety, we're doing this for your safety, is yeah. all gone. It's desperation. They, they cannot... Get the narrative back. All desperation. What he, is saying, what he is saying to not just his liberal counterparts, but what he's saying is to all the oligarchs across the planet is very simple. The barbarians are at the gates. They're empowered. They're emboldened. And most importantly, they've been innovating. When he said the mega crowd has been innovating, he was talking to the rest of the elite, telling them, that we are preparing for civil you hear me war. Now? Yeah. We are preparing for civil war. That's what I heard him say. And if I'm we don't up back walking off around of this, with a short microphone. 
Man, your sound problems are entertaining. <laughs> Tell it. But he was telling the elite, not just not just here, the elite around the you world. You hear me now? Yeah. I can hear, can you hear us. Can you hear us, Matt? I can hear me just fine, Matt. Can you hear me? Uh, damn it. <laughs> well, Matt's sorting out his his uh his mic. So I uh, I read the same thing into that. I was I was in fact stunned because Jamie Dimon has been nothing but a smug son of a bitch since two, what 2006, 2007, 2008. He sat through all of the the destruction of our economy, all of those dog and pony show congressional, uh, you know, briefings, all those things that you know where they do nothing, and he's he's always maintained the banker's line. And for him to send up what I perceive to be a literal aerial flare, like a, a ringing of the church bells to the other elite, he's going on the commoners' leftist morning show on MSNBC or whatever it was this morning, and and he's counseling these leftists to lay off the MAGA crowd, lay off of Trump, stop disrespecting these guys, and they're you know, and they threw a couple of zingers. Oh, you know, well, it is Trump. Yeah, and we should have more respect for one another. And, you know, he was right about a lot of things. And he went through a whole litany of things and just, just red-pilled him. But he didn't do it in a way where he was affirming Trump. He did it in a way where he was acknowledging Trump as a foe, but one that they need to, they need to stop fucking with. And, and why that's important is because he would have galvanized to everybody on the right especially and he was also talking to the elite in the republican party because remember the republican elite if you if you and get away from i don't believe in the two-party system it's all uniparty but he was talking to the elite in the republican party across the u.s and basically saying stop trying to take him off of the ballot all you're doing is emboldening more and, and energizing more of his base to vote for so stop it and just let him run the race because the more you give him airtime and the more air you breathe into his campaign, the more you're going to give him sales and, and you're going to put it, you know, wind under his wings to, to go all the way and get the nomination, which he desperately wants Nikki Haley to get the nomination. He's the guy initially that pivoted the elite to her instead of Ron Sanctimonious. So he was saying in very succinct ways in a number of different things, Number one, the elite are panicked. Number two, leave Trump alone. Number three, stop disrespecting the base because you're just giving them more energy. And the last thing is we need to back away from this deconstructionist attitude because it's it's going to kill our economy before we can do anything. And I think that all he went on later to talk about Bitcoin and he used the same talking points that they were talking about um, in Europe about the. Bitcoin's just used for criminality and human trafficking and drug trafficking. It's traded amongst it. You know, the, the folks inside of the Bitcoin system is, is just a commodity. It's like a, a pet hamster. That's the farthest thing from the truth. They want to kill Bitcoin so they can they can implement tokenization. He even says tokenization. So part of that speech was was scripted to go after Bitcoin. The yeah, other part is foreshadowing and padding in there. Right. The other part of the speech was not scripted. And I think it was it was him saying very succinctly, we're going to lose if we stay on this course. So 
who knows? Maybe you'll see some softening of the rhetoric on the other side about Trump. I don't think so. I think there's too many never Trumpers. But that brings me to Vivek. Vivek is a piece of shit. The guy was a piece of shit before he ran. He's a piece of shit now. And the only thing I see out of that guy is that he's trying to get a seat at the table so he can go into the administration and do damage just like you know, Mark Meadows and all the rest of the douchebags that were in swamp creatures that were in the Trump, the Trump um, cabinet. That's that's the only thing the guy's doing. Plus, he figured out very quickly that everybody saw through him. But remember, this guy ran the same script that Obama ran in 2008, almost word for word. So if you don't change the script and you come out and play the same narrative and everybody catches on to it, guess what? You're still a shill, but now everybody sees that you're a shill. You know, Vi Vivek is extremely smart. He's extremely yeah. smart. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I was go ahead. I was sitting in a chair writing all day and didn't go for any kind of exercise. So I'm in this other room with an internet computer where I have hardwire microphone and headphones, and I'm up walking around ranting, and I yanked everything. <laughs> like one lead is like a five foot lead, one lead is like a ten foot lead. The next thing I know, my microphone and my and my uh, uh, headphones are like all over the floor, and that I'm is, more trying to jack stuff together. Dude, so I, that's the most entertaining thing I've heard all day. So I missed a few. I missed a little bit of that. But yeah, Vivek is extremely, <laughs> but he's extremely smart as as I perceive him, the way that a, a chameleon is, or uh, what's the guy win friends and influence people. Uh, Pre-owned car salesman of the year, literally. Um, I, I would want to buy a used car from that who, guy. Who's the guy that said who who wrote "Win Friends and Influence People"? That's what, Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie is is giving you the sociopath's playbook. The sociopath comes into a new group and he listens, and he sponges up like what are all the people's wants and needs and desires, and he feeds it back to them like a chameleon, showing the right colors. But he's really good at it, very good at it. So, I mean, his his parents, he, he said, I made his money in pharma. He made his money in patent law, kind of the way Bill Gates did with, with um, Windows. You know, so, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but um, he didn't invent anything in pharma. He basically was very good at, at running pr stock prices up and bailing out just when it's legal, you know, and before they collapse. So the guy is very smart, but he's a chameleon, and I would not trust him. You know, he, 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 but he's good. I mean, he's like a beautiful chameleon. The colors all shine. Well, he's what like, do you think? What like do you think his exit pad, uh, path is now to be like Secretary of the State under Trump? Or he, I mean, he's got to be thinking like, how am I going to embed and, myself? Even even before he's thinking about what position he has, because he's a very young man. Before he's even thinking about what position he lands at, he is he is just done like a a hundred a thousand percent on his investment in terms of publicity the the amount of of free media he got for his invested uh, money was like monumental you know he got seven percent of the vote but he's he's like interviewed by tucker multiple times he's he's on every show multiple times you cannot buy that kind of exposure and when you're a slick chameleon you will have a lot of apostles and disciples after that. But I don't know where he intends to land. I think he's mainly out for himself. I, I think 
but uh, you know, like a Nikki Haley, they they both were hail from the same subcontinent, right? A Nikki Haley, she's just blatant. She's just you know, uh, um, unapologetically a military-industrial complex war whore, and it, I, and I, it goes I right through. That's why Vivek is more dangerous because he's like a beautiful chameleon. Well, he's the same. He's got the same set of handlers that Obama did. Right. Because if you if you go back to 2007, when Obama was running, he he had the same rhetoric, the same style. He was very witty. He was he was quick on his feet. It was all his handlers. It was all his prep work for the campaign. And you're right. He's a very smart guy. But that's not it's not just that that bothers me about him. When he first came out, he is smarter than Obama Obama, uh, books. uh, I think Dreams of My Father. I forget the name of the guy, um, conservative writer that's like semi on the not acceptable on Fox list, but he did a really great analysis the way that they can like, you know, who wrote this Shakespeare or sonnet or of, you know, word counts and word orders and things like that. Um, Bill Ayers wrote dreams of my father's Obama didn't even write it. So Bill Ayers wrote it for him. That's where he began his political career in, Weatherman, you know, Bill Ayers and Bern, what's her name? Uh, the the wife, not Bernadette Dorn. I'm trying to think of another professor that like is a author of multiple textbooks that our kids use to poison their minds. But that book was written for Obama. Obama was just like a vessel, whereas Vivek is genuinely brilliant at wordspiel. Genuinely brilliant. You remember the first year and a half of Obama's first term? He he would say nothing unless he had 10 teleprompters aimed at him. As That's he matured right. as a president, he got a little bit more nimble on his feet. But yeah, Vivek just, he just hit the ground running, shit talking on the fly. Like Trump. Vivek knows what to say. He knows how to, you know, he he strokes the chords yeah, and gets grifter. the resonance. Yeah, he's, he's a grifter. And, and that's the part that, uh, and I don't was, mind grifters. I don't mind grifters. He's a I do. I'm guy. sick of them, man. We got no, no, I, I, I am too. But most of them you can see through, blow the smoke away, put a tag on them, right? Put a beacon on them. Vivek is going to have a lot of people believing him in him in the future. And that's even more dangerous. Because the question is, who are his handlers? And who is who was funding his campaign? Because it wasn't just him that was funding his campaign. And there was a bunch of stuff that came out that he was, he was, you know, funded by the WEF and part of the young leaders of the WEF. I don't know how much of that's true, but I do know that he did supply his company supplied then lipid nanoparticle for Moderna. And now he's supposedly in litigation over it, but he made money off of the vaccines that I just have a fundamental problem with in, in general, but you're right. The PR alone from his, his short foray into the the presidential race is has been probably huge for him, but I, he's a swamp creature, and he's he, we, you're right. This isn't the last we'll see of him. The best thing is is to make sure that people see him for what he is versus buying into the narrative, which is going to be very difficult because his camouflage is so effective. You know, they 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 they've made camouflage. It's like a. a cloaking device where on every side of a tank it, it shows like there's a camera on the left side of the tank taking a picture of the forest and it's showing the forest on the right side of the tank okay and it updates constantly 
so you try to tell people, look, there's a tank there, and they're looking at it, and they're going nuts. It's a forest. Well, Vivek is is better than that. He's like, he, he is stroking your pleasure centers with what you want to hear. Alien yeah, versus let's, predator. Yes. Well, look at it this way. Who's the target demographic for his message? It's not you and I, because we're more cynical and we see through it. It's right. the 20-somethings don't see through that, that are more ideological and more emotionally charged. That's who he plays to. And he is highly effective at that influencing operation. Highly effective. Yeah. And, I mean, and I'm, and, and look, this is, look, this isn't, I'm going to go black pilled here. This is like a fascinating conversation, but I'm so black pilled that I'm like, you know, we're still talking about the, the first mate who's a charlatan becoming the head of the Titanic. The Titanic's going down, boys. Doesn't matter who's on the bridge. Well, I agree. I don't disagree, but this guy's this is one of those guys that's going to be around after, even after the crash. That's that's how I see this guy. Yeah. Which is why okay. yeah, he's him. he's world class. Yeah, well, absolutely. He's going to be around during the recovery. He's the kind of the guy, he's the be. kind of guy who can do a 170 degree uh remake and be convincing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's move on to uh the uh Millie's uh Miley Millie, how do you pronounce that guy's name? Millay. Millay. His speech I, I thought was very interesting. I don't I, I have my I didn't thoughts. I didn't even catch it. I didn't even know he was in Davos. I've been writing all day. I'm like so, 97% finished a more than 500 page novel, and I'm like it's like a puzzle where you get to the last 50 pieces and you just won't, don't want to stop. I so I've exactly been like writing all day. I didn't I I do a little tweeting in the morning and then I haven't even been online until like this show. Trump, I think you watched the speech. I didn't watch all of it. I watched part of it. Yeah, he was very lucid. So he's been, he's defined himself by being the crazy professor, cut up comedian guy and his very flamboyant approach when he won the election and he was, he had all the different agencies or, or departments or ministries or whatever of Argentina. He's like, and this one's gone and that one's gone. So he spent a good solid 24 minutes pushing back against the globalist agenda. He cited a bunch of historical examples of where governments have tried to control the means of production and the freedom of movement and align and adjust the economy and trade to try to advantage the, the state, but not the citizen of the state. And he went into quite a bit of detail. And the thing that was most striking about it was he was, he was very on point. He, he was very stoic. He was very direct, and I'm, I don't know if he wrote his own speech or not, but it was a very factual accounting of where the, basically a challenge or an affront to what, to what the World Economic Forum has been, has been pushing. And he's essentially saying, hey, you in the audience, stand up. You don't, have to, you don't have to capitulate. You don't have to go for this. You don't have to go along with this. The only way through freedom and prosperity is to do it in the Western way where we allow people uh, freedom of movement, freedom of choice, freedom of liberty, freedom of, of making their own decisions and, and get the government out of the way. So anything that we can do to, to take controls away and inspire individuals to innovate is always going to work out better for the for the economy and for prosperity of individuals than trying to mandate what the next thing is going to be like, you know, green energy, for example. And he, and when he was done, you could it, they didn't 
I didn't see a whole lot of cameras panning on the audience, but it looked like at least a third of the audience was like, is it okay to clap or am I going to get executed? What, for was, he in, was he speaking in Spanish with a, a, a simultaneous or how did they do it that? Was, it, was it was a translated buffer. So he was, he was probably speaking in his native tongue and then we were getting the, uh, the transcribed version of it. So it could, could it have been done? How over? long is the whole speech? About 24 minutes. Okay. I don't, I, I don't know where the beginning and yeah, the end. I'll, I'll look exactly. for that. After, I'll look for that after this. Okay. But it, it was, it was very telling. I mean, he, so Steve, you know, Steve's like, well, you know, he's controlled asset. They're trying to do the go along, get along thing. The leftists have always done that. So the Republicans, everybody goes centrist just before an election. And they, they I mean, they made the Sam Berkman uh, FTX thing go away. And they're, I mean, they're, they know that they know that the gig is up. So uh, is he a controlled asset? Is he really uh, a man of the people that got elected and he's pushing back at the WEF? I don't think that they would have allowed him in there. And I don't, I don't think that they would have allowed that speech. That's the, the paradox of controlled assets is that sometimes, exactly. you know, people are like double, triple agenting on their controllers and, you know, they, they are using the, the leverage of the money and the connections to get to a certain point. And then they go rogue on on their handlers. We well, certainly can have seen that. I mean, it doesn't I mean, happen often. That's possible, Matt. I just I don't. You you're invited to Davos. You're not. You don't just show up there, right? And for him to be invited, but I go back to his and the whole his whole Rabbi Israel thing too is like there, that's what it's I was a con, it's such a conundrum. Yeah, it's like, first you know, day what, of the job. He's talking about he's going to support Israel, and, now and his, his rabbi and I might convert to to uh, uh, Judaism. So it's like you know, is he is is he like ninety percent legit in over here in the economic zone, and he's throwing out like ten percent of head fakes to like you know get some running room, or or you know what the hell is going on? But it's certainly inconsistent. Yeah, and and I that that's. That's the part for me that leads me to believe he's just controlled asset. And maybe he did go off the reservation. I mean, I, I, like I said, I didn't watch the whole speech, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that he would go off the reservation, um, you know, so, so soon into the job because that usually ends up in a death sentence, you know, and, you know, he dies of a heart attack or a plane crash and, you know, but I, 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 you know, look, it's, it, and this is fascinating. Like I, I like playing all kinds of board games but I'm still stuck with everybody is talking about who from the chief's mess and the wardroom is plotting a coup to take over the, the wheel of the freaking Titanic. And we're not keeping our eye on that iceberg. All of these guys are just going to be leaping into ice water. <laughs> yeah. That's why they're building bunkers in Kauai. You know the funny part about this, Matt, is normally I'm the bitter one, and I'm the I'm, I'm the more yeah. cynical. And tonight you got me beat on that. That's, oh, I'm that's way I'm way cynical. My my <laughs> the novel I'm writing is is what comes after, like a decade after the end of the world and a ninety percent die off. So I don't I don't give a shit about Cormac and McCarthy, the Road version, you know, t ten. That's been done a hundred times, and I don't give a shit grid down, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? My novel is what, how, what happens after that? And Matt, it's going to, and it's going to be none of the players that we see today are going to be there. Matt, after, after 10 years of pestilence and famine, are there going to be fat women in your novel? 
because I don't think I want to live in that world. If, no, you know, the, there's not no, there, uh, uh, David Kodryoff, um, gun writer and, uh, and one of the fast and furious uh, uh, reporters at the very beginning, although he got almost no, got zero credit. David, David Kodria calls them MREs, morons ready to eat. Oh, well, hopefully there's some truth to that. I, I had to go on mute because I, I started laughing. I okay. Uh, that's funny. I'm going to go cry on my whiskey now. It's true, though. It's true. Cannibalism, cannibalism will, will, will be around. People aren't, people are not, you know, in, in there, there's various types of cannibalism and I'm not just trying to be morbid. Um, in the, the, uh, Andy's plane crash, you have the, the, uh, the best type where, you know, part of the crew is just dead, right? So it's not like you're drawing straws in a life raft where you all got into the life raft healthy. You, the plane crashes, part of you are dead. And they're on the ice and, you know, there's, they're, they're not going anywhere and you're not going anywhere and there's obviously no food coming, but there's, there's situations where people go cannibal very fast. And the people that have, have the least uh, uh, morality, m the least religious grounding, people have starved to death that were very religious, but the people that are irreligious and just don't give a damn they will just look at you like you're a cow. Yeah, the vegans will be the first ones eating liver. And and when you see, I mean, I, I was watching a few minutes of Fox and Friends with my wife this morning. They were showing San Francisco. Every aisle of a Walmart has like plexiglass over the shelves. And uh, Lawrence Jones, who's like a handsome black guy, who's like, you know, a rocket in terms of, of you know, three years from, nobody to on the Fox and friends morning panel for obvious reasons. He's a handsome black guy. He's talking about, well, I, I, it, it took me a half an hour to get a pair of, uh, get a, get a, uh, 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 store person to open the thing so I could get some socks out. They're missing the point. The reason they have to put plexiglass over the shelves is because society has changed so fundamentally that a large percentage of people in our big urban areas just don't consider stealing to be any kind of a problem. They have no qualm. Well, zero that's, qualm. That, that's social conditioning, right? That's but they've, they, they've but, been socially conditioned. To, but, it's acceptable. But when these people are starving, they will kill you and carve you up. It's yeah. the, it's the, that the, they don't have the con social control is gone. They will kill you and they will murder you for meat a week after they're hungry. And, and you're missing the point on Fox and friends. They're missing the point when they're talking about how it's inefficient and what are the staffing costs compared to going online shopping. They will rob the Amazon or UPS truck next. Well, you saw it the, uh, you saw the guy this week that was doing a DoorDash and got beat down by a group of uh, a group of people because he was white. I mean, how much? Uh, what 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 you're describing is the social decay that's been going on, but now yes. it's reaching a point and, where we get to the Wild West, where the police won't be able to. Oh, it's way beyond the Wild West. Women I, I know could, we're way beyond. Women that could part. ride a horse alone in the Wild West. <laughs> You know, because number one, 
90% of the men had a religious Christian background and wouldn't want to rape, wouldn't try to rape her because they would be thinking of their sister, their mother, their daughter. But they also knew that if they did and they were caught, they would be hung the next effing day. Right? That's all gone. That's completely gone. So I, that begs the question, though, because I mean, it's this is an interesting point, which is a good transition to because one of the other questions that I've been getting a lot is how is this going to go? How is it? How, I, I routinely get how is this going to break down? What's it going to look like? How bad is it going to get? I the, the question I have that that since you're on that topic, at what point does the average Joe defend himself? When it only affects him or when it affects other people? Because uh, the, the real question you're circling around is, at what point does the law-abiding citizens that are left disregard the law and go after these people? Well, we, we're, we start to see inklings of it in Ireland, these um, uh, immigrant centers, these, in, these invasion genocide replacement centers are starting to be burned. So it, despite all of the, you know, the cuck socializing proce prog process of uh, in Ireland of, you know, turning these guys that were like, you know, producing people like Michael Collins a hundred years ago. Now they're just watching while every day a hundred Africans are dropped in their village, men in their twenties, right? They're starting to resist. And when you see these roadblocks, you start seeing people driving over the roadblocks and you don't have to go fast. If you just go a couple miles an hour, they got a choice to get out of the way or get run over. You can't stop a vehicle. If it's yeah. just going a few miles, if you're going walking speed, you're making the choice to be a martyr or you can walk out of the way. So people are starting to just say, look, if the police are going to protect the bad guys, then I'm just going to, you know, drive over the bad guys. But, you know, that that's it's a good question. Um, you know, with if stores had any guts, they would start hiring security guards. It's interesting. The only security guards I've seen that are giving a beat down to a shoplifter are like black security guards. They have dispensation. You know, th this kind of stuff doesn't happen in Jamaica, for example, because there's no like guilt about, you know, I'm a white person. I should therefore let people shoplift. If if a, if a person shoplifts in a Jamaican store, Jamaicans are going to beat the crap out of them. So you're stealing think, from me. I, I think, I think so what you're circling around is something that I wanted to talk about anyway, which is a good segue is, you know, at what point does the law binding citizen drop their respect for the law and start to defend their neighborhoods and, and, and troop, I'll give you a chance to go first and welcome Lieutenant Colonel Conrad and uh, you, you'll be next. Colonel Thanks Conrad. Steve. Good to see everybody. Sorry. I'm late here. I had to take care of a few uh, family issues, but glad to be on board. No worries. Matt had technical issues. I had technical issues. It, you know, when we start having shows where we're all here on time and everything goes perfectly, that's when you know we're all compromised. Yeah. <laughs> technical issues is me kicking my jack out of the computer. So the uh, the question uh, right when you came on, uh, Colonel Conrad, was at what point would the common man say, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to pick up arms. I'm going to defend my neighborhood. I'm, I'm going to fight crime as a vigilante. Uh, because I'm done with this. Right. And that's, so first of all, it's, you have to know, is the law going to protect me? And the answer to that is no. 
The second part of that is, well, if the law doesn't protect me and I'm in open public and I protect myself, then I know the law is going to persecute me. But do I really want to put my life and my freedom on the line because some shitbag stealing cosmetics out of a store that I don't care about? So no, I don't want to do that. But now all of a sudden, all these guys are moving into my neighborhood and they're breaking into cars and they're harassing women, walking their dogs and all that. So that's that's the point where I think people are going to go, you know what, this isn't going to happen anymore. We're going to be escorting our own neighbors, our own women, our own children to school, on the dog walks, uh, to on the way to the market or whatever. Because if it's got so bad that that's what you need to do, then that's what's going to happen. And the the vigilante thing, I've always said that vigilantes don't scare me. Lack of discipline scares me. So that's that's where I think that that red line is, is when they start coming in the neighborhoods with impunity, that's that's when they're going to play the fuck around and find out game. That's when people are going to go, you know what? I'm done. You're coming to my neighborhood. You're dead, period, full stop. And nobody will even be able to tell you who, who fired the shot. It's like if, you know, if somebody gets stabbed at the homeless camp, nobody's going to say shit to the police, even though everybody knows what happened, who was involved, whatever, where the weapon got chucked. Nobody's going to say a damn thing. And that's exactly how it's going to go in, in these neighborhoods. If, if, if the, the powers that be allowed to degenerate to that, to that level of lawlessness. lawlessness. Well, lawlessness. I, the question I have though is, and this is for all of you, how far away from that do you think we are? Because there's, there's three levels of this, right? There's the, I don't want to get, I don't want to get prosecuted. I'm watching a crime being committed. They're in my neighborhood and I'm defending my neighborhood. And then I'm in a store for the third time, the same shitbag stealing something. I'm going to put this guy down because those are three different levels of escalation. And I, I would propose to all of you that we are not that far away from that. We're yeah, not, at least not again, in the big city. Discipline, though. I mean, if, if I'm in a store that's insured, that has a corporate policy that the, their own employees that work there don't get involved uh, in the commission of a crime, it's incumbent upon them and their security and, and their policies, processes, and procedures to, to address that unless that person that's in the store is trying to rob me or they're trying to harass uh, you know, another shopper or you know, whatever, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not going to intervene in that unless there's a threat to other civilians and it would be it, it, the, the heroes that walk around with the guns and they're, they, you know, they can't wait for an altercation like that. They have no idea what the downrange concern is. I mean, bullets are flying everywhere. Right. So, and I don't think it happens until the food stores are looted and you can't, you can't even get food in like a five mile range. Then people will start shooting. They'll start turning on each other then, though, Matt. I mean, be, before the before that desperation. I mean, they'll shoot a robber when it comes to when it, when the reality dawns on them that the last three stores in in a five mile range were looted in in robbing in in robbery rampages, and they're now closed. And the store that's now six miles away, there are a mob forming up to loot it. Then somebody's going to shoot at the mob. I can see that. It's not, so gonna be gonna, until, it's, it's not gonna be until the food stores are literally un, made unavailable because they won't keep resupplying food stores that keep getting looted. Well, they're already or, closed about three Walgreens in Chicago. I think it was Chicago, maybe it was Minnesota. I saw it this week that the Walgreens is closing stores, CVS is closing stores. But even food is even different than a pharmacy. You don't need shampoo and maybe Tylenol. Well, now and, my point is is that we're starting to see the store closures right now. I don't know about grocery but stores. People I know will start when you're hungry. 
when you're yeah, hungry, when your kids are saying, be uncomfortable. you have no food. Yeah, they got to be uncomfortable. I, I figured that was the answer. Dave, you got any thoughts on this one? Well, certainly, certainly. I think you start with you've got man's law and you've got uh, God's law. And people people have their own sense of personal ethics. And, of course, situation and conditions, what, what, what would we say to military? Met T, met T, right? So we evaluate the situation. And uh, like, like Matt said, if somebody's starving to death and they're desperate, obviously that's going to go kinetic a lot quicker than going after nice-to-have type items. But on the other hand, you're going to have a nearly infinite number of variables unrolling in different places, unraveling in different places uh, at, at various times. So if you live in the city, that's one thing. But at the, but at the same time, because uh, those people will be eat more easily isolated first. And then as those people start to roll out of the cities, realizing there's no more resources there, you've got people sitting in the suburbs who've been watching something, know something about what's going on and hopefully have some type of prior warning. So they may be a little more primed. Um, not sure they're going to shoot as quickly as somebody coming out of the city who's, who's genuinely desperate. But I think everybody faces that situation. And, um, you know, if it's women and children coming out of the city to find some hope and some help, that's one thing. <laughs> if it's military-age males uh, who are armed to the teeth, that's another thing. Two totally different responses. Yeah, that's how. In, in in 2013, I wrote a piece, a pretty long piece called "When the Music Stops: How America's Cities May Explode in Violence." It's been, you know, uh, republished and reblogged a million times. You can Google it. Yeah, it's a good uh, book. It was printed in in Soldier of Fortune for what it's worth. Like, um, but you know, Robert K. Brown like said, "Hey, can I print that?" Like, Great. So I've got a hard copy, you know, Soldier of Fortune with it. But when and, and in my third novel of the Enemies trilogy, which starts a year after the novel starts a year after a huge earthquake in southeast Missouri, like the New Madrid fault, when Memphis collapses and the people are fleeing out of Memphis, the people in Middle Tennessee that have watched what's going on just start shooting. It's like, no, you, you cannot drive into our little village looking for food and taking it over. We have deer rifles. We have tractors and hay wagons. And we're just not going to let happen here what happened in Memphis. But I mean, I, I'm, my point is, I've been writing novels and long, uh, col you know, long articles about this more than 10 years. And we're now just starting to see it unfold. So a lot of this drama, you know, there's already a script. It's already a, it's already a script. I mean, it's well, going to we're, we're now, that's why I keep going back to that Titanic analogy. I don't spend too much time wondering about, you know, what kind of a threat will Vivek Ramaswamy be in 10 years? Because that's after the Titanic sank. And everybody that gets off of the life rafts, none of them will be from the bridge. It'll be a whole new cast of characters. <laughs> Just my opinion, but I'm pretty bored. You know, I'm usually the one that cuts right through the shit to get to, to, get to the big picture. <laughs> like, you did it well tonight. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, I'm, I'm writing my... Sixth novel right now, I'm like 95% finished. And it ends, the good place where it ends is like a Francisco Franco Pinochet has to take over. And by that point, nobody has any mercy. Nobody has any woke. Nobody has any PC. People are just down to bare knuckle fundamentals. You know, and it's, you got tattoos on your face. We're not even getting close enough to talk to you.
Yeah, this I, is I, after I, all of that. Yeah, well, I I've said for a while that you know when we get through this, we're gonna have um, generations that are hard as nails that won't very hard. any of the any of the the political nonsense that we're seeing now or any of the the other malfeasance we're seeing, right? And that the, the the real question that we're all that I'm trying to lead everybody to is how far away do you think from the event horizon we are? I would think we're just a few months away from some kind of an event horizon or false flag. I think we all agree that that uh, you know there's been an, any number of shaping operations. We're all expecting a confluence of things from banking and financial collapse to isolation uh, in terms of resources and supply chain cutoff. And, yeah. and of course, pandemic uh, X, <laughs> pandemic X, you know, yeah. I, th I think it's, it's almost, it's almost like a, uh, we've got a scorecard. We know, we know what, uh, what's going to be, who's on deck and, and what's happening next. It's just a matter of what's the timing that they bring it all together. Yeah. And so, so it comes back to, is it something sustainable? In other words, something that they can maintain pressure for a long time, like a pandemic, or is it something that they're driving for that's going to be kinetic and, and happens much, much more rapidly? And, and I think that gives you a lot of the answer right there. And it may be all of the above because there may be um, external events that trigger internal events now that we have all of these uh, Chinese communist and jihad terror cells walking across the border. I, and I, I would certainly think that there are people if indeed you do have stockpiles of weapons and ammunition for certain populations already uh, in place, then there's going to be people sitting back observing the situation, almost like a commanding general, if you will, and saying, and saying, okay, let's activate this cell. We've got this group of Antifa here. Let's get them out and we need to get them rolling in, in this particular city. Over here, we need to stimulate the situation and drive kinetics um with immigrants it would they're going to have um they're going to have war gamed out various aspects of this to the nth degree because they've had years right. to build towards this well they have a complete palette of tools but then you also have the factor of people going ahead or of schedule and just going rogue on their own uh, volition and and therein as steve always points out once you cross the ld you, you, you have an exponential explosion of various factors you can't control. So the plan that was, or I should say the plan that is becomes the plan that, that was, and you move on to contingency operations. And so they, they exercise con plan one or con plan two based on the situation. And, and they, they have the flexibility to do that if they have the resources in place and the, the elements organized uh, already, you know, if, if sub sub leaders already briefed on the situation ready to go and they, they may have more success success that they expect than they expected and I'll, and I'll give you an example let's say that they have um 20 teams ready to attack 10 major power substations and they expect the 25 percent like you know you're, you're you're like figuring missiles or torpedoes right and they expect 25 percent and taking down 40 percent of the american grid and instead, they have 120% success and the entire grid goes down and all bets are off. So they, they might be thinking I'm like dialing the nuke for the yield, but 
they they were wrong with the dialomatic yield. And instead of, you know, 40% yield, they got a 200% yield because, oops, they never tested it. Well, look at the pandemic from three years ago. Uh, the actual lethality, I think, was probably not what they expected. I think people in the United States having better immune systems and generally better diets, et cetera, did likely better than what they had planned for. And people began to adapt. And then you saw you saw what happened, the adaptation in uh, the, the in the nation of India, where the largest province decided to go spend $3.27 a day on, on a cocktail of ivermectin yeah. and, and a couple of different items. And they demonstrated with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, which is statistically quite significant, um, that, yep. that that province was successful in quelling the signs and symptoms of the disease. Meanwhile, the province right next door to them followed the World Health Organization protocol, and they were an explosion in a wet, hot mess. And so some people adapt, some people don't. How I think people are now- It takes courageous leadership, even at the local level. It people, does. It, it takes preparation. You no, know, I'm not just going to you know follow orders. Exactly. And so you're going to have- you're going to have tremendous numbers of variables that enter enter the table in the situation. The very simple question, who is the Democratic Party going to endorse going forward? I mean, from what I understand, Joe Biden is, is being pumped full of amphetamines and things like that on an almost daily basis just to keep the guy upright. If that's true, then nobody thinks he could survive four years. So at what point do they have to introduce Gavin Newsom to come in here and be the de facto candidate? Um, well, back getting ballot issues and so forth becomes a problem, but I think that they'll, if it'll, it may happen at the uh, convention when yeah. something happens that dumps Kamala and Biden because they can't just have Kamala succeed him. No, she's, she's dumber than the dirt is than the day <laughs> is long. I mean, she, she, she's, she's got the intellect of a spoon. That's um, hilarious. I think they're going to they they have the luxury right now the way that they set up their primaries where they're you know the basement strategy right they're not running anybody there's no competition it's Biden all the way they know he's not going to make it but this frees up all of their voters and they did this in Iowa with the with the Trump or with the uh with the GOP caucus all of the democrats were rushing to register as republican to try to push Nikki Haley over the edge and they they were successful by one vote in one county i think is what i read but this gives them a lot of flexibility because they don't have to really worry about campaigning. So they don't have to spend money on this guy. They know eventually he's going to die. And since there isn't any surviving candidates, they know that they basically have the luxury of reappointing, you know, appointing whoever they want to replace him. And at the same time, they have all their foot soldiers activated to undermine the Republican primary. So th this whole thing has been planned out. True. But I think, I think there's, um, you know, I was going to say, Gee, Rachel, J Rachel Maddow having a meltdown. Uh, what do you call that? Nothing new, right? She does it on a daily basis. Nobody really cares. But the point is, the Democrats watch what happened in Iowa. They watch the Nikki Haley situation. I think they were hoping for better success with that. So in, in my estimation, she would have had maybe somewhere between 6 and 8% uh, without interference. And so they try to endorse her per John Kerry. And they drove it up to 19%. Well, you know, that that wasn't a whole lot of bang for the buck. 
and uh, I'm just I'm not so sure that they're comfortable with the idea that they can handle Trump in in any in anything that resembles legitimacy with regard right. to beyond the, the level beyond the margin of fraud. Yeah, I mean seriously, when three quarters of the country pretty much openly acknowledges that you know, what went on was a travesty three and a half three years ago. Um, they, they, they have, to, it's not like they care what every individual thinks, but they, they have to care enough that it won't incite a violent response. And, and that's, you know, we, we talk about all kinds of extreme situations unfolding. Um, but like I said to Steve, I think towards the end of one of our discussions, we still have to acknowledge the fact that if they think the calculus is against them if they think it's going to trigger a cataclysmic event that comes back around and causes us to start hunting them down um they'll likely turn the heat down they'll start assembling teams of people which i understand they're already doing to to uh mitigate the effects of trump and any of and the impact that he could have in terms of authoritarian influence and they might actually acknowledge him as a duly elected president, but just try and keep him fenced in for the next four years and then get back on track after that. Yeah. I don't know how that gets us past like a complete uh, financial implosion, like Argentina style or other things, a, a grid down. We have enough terrorists in this country right now. The word could go out to the Iranians, the Chinese or the cartels to take down the grid. It would be down. I, mean, I, I think they're so vulnerable. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt. I'm I'm in the place, I'm stuck at the place where this is going to happen this year. We are not going into 25. They are not going to bring this to another culmination point where they can say that um, anybody won the election. They want to install someone. They don't want to run the course and set up the cheating mechanisms. They know that's not going to fly. It would that's be simpler. To, it would be simpler to have such anarchy in the streets that we yes. just have elections because it's unsafe in the urban areas for people to stand in line. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like, "Oh my gosh, we've got this fantastic new phone app. We're just going to have everybody voting on their iPhone or their." I don't think anybody will believe that. Point. No, I don't no, think anybody will that. believe it. But I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past them to try something right. like that. Yeah, they yeah. will try, but it won't work. I, 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 but I, if I, if I'm looking at the bigger picture and I'm looking at backward planning, I'm still seeing some kind of a false flag between March and June. So they can set conditions to install someone. And I don't know what that is, but I'm with Matt financial collapse, logistical collapse, uh, the the grid going down, they could do all. There's enough forces in this country right now to do that. Yeah, hey, this is not even breaking a sweat. We're in a just, we're in a period where it's like one of these cheesy modern westerns where you know all the gun evil gunslinger types, or even like a sci-fi western, all the evil gunslinger types are in town for the you know the gunslinger rodeo. <laughs> and the grid goes down. It's like. So who did it? Well, we, these guys think it was the Houthi faction, and these guys think it was the cartels blaming these guys. These guys think it's the white supremacists from Idaho. I mean, 
we're so vulnerable. We're like, you know, we've got a million sort of Damocles hanging over us. This grid is such a uh, exposed jugular vein. We're like on a battlefield like Greeks versus Romans. And we're walking around naked, you know, with a butter knife. Well, just, just for the record, I do agree with you guys that we are going to have some type of, of black swan event and that some some horrific situation could potentially be uh, be instigated. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. That's what that's the way I think this will go. I'm simply saying it doesn't have to. I don't think we have to have a financial collapse because they've been propping up things for for years financially as far as our economy is concerned. You're right. It's going, to, it, it's, it's going to be a conscious decision one way or another. This is a go or this is a no-go. And I'm just not sure what and when is going to precipitate their decision. But I don't think it's been finalized yet. No, it's not fully baked. That I that I can tell you definitively because of the messaging that's they're, they're throwing all over the place. Uh, they've ramped up. And it's interesting on social media to see the the ramp up of a lot of the narratives, right? So you you normally see a typical amount of bots and AI that's pushing a specific narrative, but I'm seeing a host of different narratives. And the the biggest one that I've seen ramp up in the last couple of weeks is this this conversation about disinformation and and literally shutting down um, specific platforms for disinformation. That's a very interesting shift because now it's AI and bots doing it, not just um, not just the elite. So it tells me that they are ramping towards something, but I don't think it's fully baked as to what that is. But you're right. It's probably a conscious decision. And I think the go, no go decision is literally around. Do we think we can pull it off to install somebody or to, to cheat and the, steal the election? The makes that decision. And do they worry if there is like, is it like a Borg hive mind uh, jellyfish thing? Or is it a group of people that are like, you know, sitting together and texting each other? Because the risk of that is in today's era, you cannot have a conspiracy where somebody doesn't record it. And then as insurance, if nothing else, and then you wind up hung. I, I think it's a, it's a, and I've said this all along. I think it's a loose coalition of a number of different or you know factions or organizations, however you want to call it, mob so they're families. Just, they're giving each other enough winks and nods that it nudges over past a tipping point. Because if there's five people like you know Susan Rice, Obama, somebody records it. No. When it goes south, the recording gets out. Obama's on the scaffold. I These think people nobody's going to come out and say, too. "Push the button." I don't. I think when you talk about political leaders, you're, you're talking about underlings that are several steps down. I think this, this goes all the way to the top. This is a pivotal point in human history. And as to how fast they hit the accelerator or do they hit the brake? And I think that decision comes from a, a confluence of opinion from the quote unquote Venetian families that hand things down to people like the Rockefellers and the the uh, the other Roth, oligarch Roth, families, the Rothschilds, yeah. etc. I think they hand it down. They're not worried about recordings and things like that because most people don't even know where they are, where they live, how they communicate. They've got secure facilities for taking care of those kinds of things. I think they're going to rely on the feedback. They have their own intelligence apparatus that informs them what the status of things are, 
and it's going to come down to a measure of risk. Can we can we hit the gas pedal and drive a cataclysmic event and reduce the population significantly and do this without precipitating the kind of backlash that would put us under uh, unacceptable risk? If they think they can get away with it, then they hit the gas pedal. If they think that the risk is going to be too great because you're going to have too many people responding, there's too many people awake, then they'll back off and they'll they'll come up they'll have an alternative message. An alternative way of looking at this is in a fourth turning cyclical kind of a uh, you know multi generational civilizational kind of a, of a context, mm-hmm. and and in that case, whether personalities are accelerating or putting on brakes is just like a friction coefficient. But we're going into a fourth turning. It's going to happen. And the only question is, does the crunch come in 2024 or 2027? If it's like a, a true, you know, civilizational, epical shift, paradigm shift away from the American British Empire towards the BRICS, the, the global island Eurasia rising and the sea powers diminishing, and all of these human uh, factors are just a friction coefficient. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I, and I would say that that friction coefficient is rising by the day. And I think that that's what's going to take us off the rails. I'm seeing it more as a Chinese checkers board, not a chess board. I mean, people people want to make their move when we want to make it. We're talking about when is China going to invade Hong Kong? Uh, when is a disruptive event for the interest of the election going to kick off? I think it's uh, July is the center, the center of mass on that. Sounds like Steve, you're a, you're a month ahead of me on the the three month forecast. Um, but then you have all these other people that have penetrated the country and then you have everything going on in Ukraine and then you have, you know, everything going on in Central America. So there's, there's a lot of little marbles on that, on that checkerboard. I don't, I don't think it would be wise to, to stake any, any kind of reputation on who's going to do what, when I think someone's going to go off the reservation and then like dominoes, everybody is going to go to their plan B at the same time. And then there's going to be chaos. So it's, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who shit hits what fan. It just matters what we do after it hits it. So, well, well, look, look at recent history. We had public statements from G talking about, spoke openly uh, to a large group, talking about the reunification of China. And he specifically said, if I recall, prior to the uh, election being held this year in in Taiwan. And we've had the election and uh, we didn't see any intervention or any any decisive action on the part of uh, mainland China. So they obviously backed off of something for some reason. Yeah, I think their smart move is to slowly ratchet up a blockade using each what they consider Western provocation to add friction to Taiwan. You know, like what we've seen with the Houthis in the Red Sea. They're just adding friction, causing shipping uh, to go around Africa instead of through the Suez. Yeah. Like that with Taiwan, where companies are just saying, I'm not going to go to Taiwan because... The Chinese Navy might put my ship in a in a uh, uh, Chinese port for three months of searching. Well, I don't know how many resources they're drawing to what part of the planet, but drawing American naval assets away from Taiwan may be 
part of the scheme. Oh, definitely. I've been drawing down our war stocks. We do not have an unlimited number of our very old harpoon missiles and other missiles. You know, Russia's making them like, you know, like, uh, like a donut machine. And we're like digging into stuff we made 30 years ago and don't even have people to make anymore. Yeah. And we're, we're, our war stocks are so depleted. So I'm funny. Um, I were talking about that a, a few, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago about how spread out the U S Naval forces are and totally by design. So they, I, you know, that they're laughing at our, our arrogance of we're, we're fighting a, a, a 10 front potential conflict space with a two front war mindset. And we don't have enough guys to fill the back of a deuce and a half. Yeah, and, and what everybody in the world that's paying attention has learned from Ukraine and Russia is that we can go through like all of the uh, American war stocks in like a month. And then what? Yeah, that's especially a problem when you talk about microprocessor and chip technology that, that we no longer <laughs> possess in any kind that of volume. comes from Taiwan. Exactly. By the way, Steve, I just wanted to mention, maybe I'm missing it. But when I got on uh, Telegram, I was not seeing a link to this discussion. I saw the link to uh, January 15th, but I was not seeing the link to today. Maybe I missed it, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to have a harder time finding us this evening. I think I put it on all the other social medias and, and forgot to put it on Telegram. But suffice it to say, I think um, we're not... I'm still stuck on, they have to do influencing operations. Disease X is influence, influencing operations. I think that's just one avenue of approach. And I think this whole disease X, you know, hysteria is they're trying to build off of the, the COVID hysteria. And it's just, it's not going to work the same way it did last time because everybody sees through it now. And that's why I think they're going to get to a certain culmination point. And you're right, True. I think somebody will go off the reservation that will that will start the domino effect. But who's to say that this this conflict that's in the Middle East right now doesn't expand and kick that off inadvertently by destroying the supply chain? Because look, they've hit the, the Houthis have hit a couple of ships just in the last week and diverted all of that supply train around the southern tip of Africa. That's a that's a tremendous amount of sailing time for any um, for any shipping company, which also adds to the latency and the supply chain. It only takes a couple more chinks in that chain before the whole thing collapses. And, and we have we have such we have such a wildly opposed views of what's going on in the Red Sea and other areas. We are still broadcasting this. If you look at Normie TV, like Fox, as freedom of the sea. Well, we're just going to do whatever it takes to keep ships, any ships that we want to go from the Suez Canal through the Red Sea, no matter what, we're going to do it. And that's just not reality in an era when, you know, anybody can put a 300 kilometer missile on a truck. I mean, you, we can't keep that place open firing $2 million missiles at $20,000 drones. Matt, what, what's your thoughts on and the odds of that total accident, like a destroyer actually getting hit by something, and then we go ballistic and start firing missiles all over the Middle East. You are talking kinetic World War III really fast. <laughs> yeah, and I'm surprised that hasn't happened, to be honest with you, Matt. I mean, I, I know all those systems that are on Aegis and, and what they're capable of, but 
by the same token, I'm surprised that some of those drones haven't gotten through because we're talking about some very small target, or maybe we're maybe they're only using bigger drones, but still, you're right. Well, and when and if you're hitting a tanker, it's sort of like okay, if I shoot a, an ogre with a 22 pistol, it, I can probably hit him. I can miss him a hundred times, hit him twenty times, but I might hit him right in the eye, and it goes in his brain, and he walks falls down dead. So you hit the right thing on the right ship, and it fireballs. It goes forest all. Yeah, I agree. Why isn't Saudi Arabia projecting any force into Yemen and, and Syria? If they're, if they're launching these things off the back of Toyota pickup trucks. Because Saudi Arabia cannot be seen as this to the Arab world, and not even Arab, in the Muslim world, this is seen as America is propping up the Israelis in their genocide of Gaza. That's how they see it. Yeah. And that's the messaging too. That's been right. the message. They can, in, in, in Riyadh and in, and in Tehran, they can, well, of course not Tehran, but no Arab, not even Egypt, they cannot be seen as supporting the Western crusaders who are supporting the Jews who are genociding their Arab brothers in Gaza. That nobody wants. <laughs> right. Nobody wants, but nobody can go on the record saying, hey, I'm for the Israelis here. And they're look, they're not calling this a we're against freedom of the seas, we're terrorists just randomly shooting at innocent uh, ships. They see it as we are stopping all ships that do not declare that we are not supporting Israel. So ships can't are turning off their their um, was AIS and they're going radio silent. They're getting shot at. They have to like make a declaration to the Houthis. We are absolutely against the Jews. And we will, are not going to be stopping at Israel or doing any business with Israel. Well, I mean, to, that's how they look at it now. It's, a, it's the Jews in America versus the Muslim world. And yeah. with all the stress in the world, the Suez and the, um, the oh, my God, what is this? Panama Canal? The pa oh. Not the Panama Canal. The Suez Canal and the Panama Canal. I got to be honest. They both have been open waterways, regardless of what's been going on in the world. And now it's like, nope, this, you guys went too far this time. Well, the open waterway thing is for people who are not in a state of conflict. That open waterway is, is like the big asterisk is during peacetime with no declared hostilities and no, no armed people engaging in conflict. But the, the Strait of Dardanelles and the Bosporus has always been, had very strict controls on like who can go through it and when and under what conditions. You know, the, the Houthis are now saying, well, we're like the Turks. You know, we're going to be the gatekeeper here. And why are we going to be the gatekeeper? Because we can. Because it's it's not a cannon with a three-mile range anymore. It's a it's a truck firing from 200 kilometers back. Yeah. So we can. We're doing it because we can. And and we'll do it until you make a stop, which you can't. Yeah, and it's like, you Yemen's know. too big and the missiles are too cheap. Yeah, and for us, it's like hunting scuds in the desert in Desert One, right? right. Never I found mean, one. Shit, how much? You know how many aircraft we threw at that just to try and find one scud missile launcher? I mean, we're talking a hundred aircraft searching around looking for one missile plume, and they were liquid rockets that had to be erected and fueled. Yeah, so they were big rocket. Imagine trying to find. You know, a, a 200 kilometer rock on the back of a pick, pickup truck that can sit in the garage, pull out, fire, and then back in the garage. In, in, a, country, in a country where a, there's a million trucks that are equivalent of a 
Mercedes deuce and a half with a canvas cover on the back. Yeah, they're never it finding that. Carrying school kids, it may be carrying sheep, or it may be carrying a missile. Yeah, you're never finding that. That's that's just the bottom line, and and that's the interesting part of it is that you know one one small group can tip the balance of the whole region in a matter of hours. And I, I, I'm, to be perfectly honest, I'm very surprised at the amount of restraint that the Iranians have showed with the whole situation, as well as Hezbollah. You would think that Hezbollah, because Hezbollah has got it. They have a standing army that can give the Israelis a run for their money. Not like, not like a bunch of RPGs. These guys have armored vehicles They've got artillery. They've got aircraft. They've got the whole nine yards. Yeah. I'm very in, surprised. If they bring in America, if they if Hezbollah does a big attack, they bring in America heavy. That's when America is at its strongest, relatively speaking. If they do rope a dope and bleed us of missiles, and and uh, just wear our force down, you know, we have to take the carrier battle groups out. You can't even sustain them in the Eastern Med. That's where you've got Greece, Egypt, right, Cyprus, all over the place, ports. If they get, if they can't get through the Suez, they can't even sustain in the Eastern Med. Forget about sustaining in the IO. What Diego Garcia? Dubai is going to kick us out. Bahrain's going to kick us out as soon as it goes hot over there. Yeah, we're we're, we're we're playing like it's 1950 America. Yeah, and it's not. But you just touched on the key point. Every bit of this revolves around logistics. Every single bit of it. And and the Suez and Panama can be cut at any moment, hundred percent cut, and that and that's like not just a friction, that's a major friction. That's like putting brakes on. Yeah. So Panama Canal is already under stress. Suez Canal be, can be closed at a, you know, and any ship can be scuttled in the Suez. Yeah, take I it agree. out for a month. Yeah, and that's the interesting side of it is that we haven't seen any of those escalations. I, I figured we would have seen some of it by now. I think that the calculation is it's better to wear us down. Like a, instead of just having the three dogs run straight in at the rested bear, you just have the dogs run in and nip and run back till the bear is just so worn out it almost collapses. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So that brings me to last last topic. We we got about a half an hour. Wow, half an hour left. That that goes quick. The uh, I want to make sure we address everything in the chat. Chat's been going crazy. Um, yeah, disease act still answered that. Let, let's talk about, um, God, there's so many different ways we could go, go about this. Um, I want to talk through, see, that's a rabbit hole too. I, I think the best thing we can talk through is it, let's talk about because uh, we always we always end the show usually with some kind of conversation around being prepared. You, you and I, I think everybody, all all of us have had multiple conversations about this. Instead of talking about that tonight, the other question I get all the time is how do where do I reach out in my community? Who do I talk to? Where do I need to start to make you know human connections? And I, and I think that I'm going to open it up to you guys. Uh, for this conversation, because I, I say it all the time. I talk about this all the time. Uh, places to reach out, places to meet people. Uh, I'm going to let you guys answer that. Dave, let's start with you. Well, I think it depends on your situation. 
do you do you live in a city? Do you live in a condo and, and very condensed kind of circumstance? You may already know people in proximity just for practical reasons. Then again, a lot of people don't. They're very isolated and and uh, so again, depending on where you are, whether you're in the suburbs, whether you're in in uh, urban dense population, or whether you're out in the country, I think you have to uh, think about who you already know. Think about where you're established. Um, take a look at what the social norms are, and then get a feel for your environment. I've got a cousin who moved down to the Carolinas, and uh, he thinks in a similar vein to us. And but his, you know, his comment was, you know, everybody around me has ARs, and, and you know, everybody knows who belongs in the community, who doesn't. So they're they're a fairly homogenous circumstance, right there, and um, they're already several several steps down the trail, so to speak, uh, of of um, being mutually supportive. And then again, you've got if you're if you're an individual, you know, if you're an urban housewife and you've got you've got a small kid and you're a single parent and and uh, you know, you, you're going to be thinking about how do I take care of my child? Where am I going to have to go? Uh, what resources do I need? And, you know, they're going to have to spread, spread their wings and take the initiative and, uh, you know, make the effort to reach out to people. It, it's, it's one handshake at a time. You know, it's one handshake at a time. Get a feel for the environment. Get a feel for what's the temperature in the room, so to speak. Um, you know, make make an assessment and then make a plan. But you have to execute. You've got to take those steps. You can't somebody else can't do it for you. Yeah. Oh, Matt? Yeah, I, I think that we're you know, things that I would have said a year ago, like, you know, go to trade school instead of college, I think we're a little bit late in the game for that. I think it's still a good idea, but maybe too late to have an effect, you know. But um, you can still move, and moving to a community, a smaller community with better, uh, better food growing potential, water potential. I mean, if in the event of a complete cutoff, you don't want to be in a place where the food's all imported because it's going to stop. No matter how tight your church group is, if they're all still going to starve. So moving to a place that has a potential to grow its own food. Have it has its own water, has a tight community. It's also going to be better for your children because you're you're not going to be dealing with the woke public school unions as much. Um, but moving now, and even <laughs> if you have to you know live in a freaking trailer or an RV, it will be better than what what is this saying? It's better you know better to leave a year too early than a day too late. It's time to you know, time to get to the place where you would want to ride this out. Don't count on bugging out to that place. You got to be there. You got to use your shit. So everybody talks about joining church. If you're church, great. And if you're not, that's fine. Uh, uh, very briefly, before it, my own feed got politicized, I was on uh, instant Instagram, Instagram, and I joined this group called Beer and Cameras. Cause I love 35 millimeter cameras. So the group was just about a bunch of people to get together with their cameras and they go, we're, we're going to go film downtown or we're going to film mountains this, you know, this day or whatever. 
and it's just a social group. People show up and some of them generally in that type of environment are going to have different political ideologies than you do. But the, the point of the exercise is you're getting out with a piece of equipment, you're meeting like-minded people. And, you know, there's so many different things that you can do. We get a thing with our community center every six months. Uh, so the community center at Rio Vista, they have, they have uh, aerobics, they have martial arts, they have knitting, they have whatever, they have all these different classes. They had a guitar class, just getting out and getting involved in these groups. I know most conservative people aren't what, what I would call joiners. I'm not a joiner. It's very hard to get people to show up to anything. Steve and I do uh, gun range and uh, Teddy Spaghetti and I do free training and we have the cigar thing and, you know, trying to get a conservative to show up to anything's like pulling teeth. But for those who are, are really motivated to get out and they go, well, you know, where do I go? Where do I start? Um, you know, I told you guys, I love fat women. So when I was single, I joined Weight Watchers and it was like shooting fish in a barrel. You got to go where the fish are. And if you want to figure out how to be self-reliant, um, then how about you volunteer for organizations that collect like I, I work with the homeless every Saturday. So if, if I wanted to be around people that, that knew where access to resources were, or, or you know, wanted to, um, you know, teach me things I wanted to know, I would probably want to volunteer at a, a, uh, Salvation Army or one of these places that feed homeless or one of these places that collect canned goods or one of these places that collect school supplies for children. So there's lots of organizations that, that collect donations. There's lots of, uh, organizations and and groups that are just trying to put together stuff like gardening groups you know well how do i garden maybe you come into that gardening group and you think that you're going to grow corn in your backyard but you end up doing a, a hydroponic thing that just grows lettuce in your kitchen and you go wow i can turn over enough lettuce to literally feed myself lettuce every day with you know just a couple of square feet of counter space so you have to go off of the internet to where people are that can show you well this is what you get don't get that Oh, and look, I got an extra one I don't use anymore. You want this, Matt? Oh, sure. Thank you. So you, there, there's knowledge out there and there's people that are seeking knowledge, but you have to get out from the safe side of your keyboard and, and go, go look for it. Uh, something that just occurred to me also, and it won't work for everybody, but it's a tremendous force multiplier if it applies. You may need uh, to have a pre-existing friend in a fire department or police department, but depending on, you know, your own county rules is probably not going to be a city thing, but there are, there are auxiliary and deputy and reserve police and fire departments, but it gets you in the door where you're in their calm, calm chain. And that can be really, that can pay huge dividends. That's an excellent, clearly. excellent, excellent comment. You may not, you know, maybe like once a month, I go on a patrol somewhere, but you get the, you got the, the calm sheet. And maybe they give you a radio. And that, you know, that can be the big difference. When the balloon goes up, those guys are going to be structured all different. <laughs> going to be, you know, like the, the Wild West and all the deputies are in the posse. Yeah, Mar Maricopa County had, I was a posse man for a, the 15 years of that program. And you're right. And at the time, I mean, it was all bright red Arizona, right? So, the the state emergency operations center the maricopa county sheriff's office the local police departments they all had some type of explorer program or reserve deputy program or posse program and there's a lot of cross pollinization as Definitely. well 
Um, so, you know, as cities go woke, that's the very first thing that they go after. That's the very first thing that Sheriff Paul Penzone uh, eliminated with Maricopa County was that that very close binding with the civilian population specifically to break that link. That's what and Marxism is to go more rural than less. Well, you yeah. know, I, I'm sorry, but I'm still back. <laughs> I joined Weight Watchers and it was fish in yeah. a barrel. I haven't got past that. <laughs> I was a cavalry scout, sir. I, I mean, I got nothing I, to say to that other than the objective is. If I could just harness that energy, my God. I'm dating since 1980, so. Oh, uh, you know, those are all very good. Yeah, that was a very good point because there's a lot of dividends that come out of that. And, you know, I talk about this stuff all the time, but it's it's something else for somebody else to put it out. And, you know, a lot of people that talk to me and reach out all ask me, how do I get involved? Where do I get involved? And how do I meet people in my area? I'm surrounded by liberals. I mean, I get that on a regular basis. And you're right. You're 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 kind of limited by your situation. But I I think there's a if there's a will, there's a way, and there's other people in your area. And it's just a matter of getting exposing yourself to enough external groups to be able to make those connections. I mean, it, that's that's my view of the world. And I think we're, I think we're, you know, those people listening, following this podcast, this type of show, we're ahead of the game already because we don't have uh, rose-colored glasses on. You know, we're not going to be the guy in line at the gas station when things go helter skelter, going, "How can this be happening?" Because we're going to expect it to happen. You know, we're we're not going to be number a hundred at the gas line when shooting breaks out because we all have another plan already. And if you don't, then what have you been doing? Yeah, but there is, believe it or not, as 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 Troop and I have found out, as he said, we do we've done some ranges, and even though we do expose, we we deal with a lot of noobs that show up to the range. There are people that show up and say, "The this is you know I had to drive an hour, two hours to get here, but this is the only people around me that." you know, you guys are the closest around me. And I, I have a hard time believing that. I think there's conservatives everywhere. And I think there's people like, like that do listen to this that are surrounded by people that are also awake. They, it's just a matter of opportunity to find them. And that's the hardest part, right? Is sometimes making those new connections are the hardest part of the, the entire endeavor. But, um, and, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that in my neighborhood, just in the last so I have three, four adult family homes here, which cater to folks that are end of life. Not They're not hospice centers. They're basically adult care. And just in the last, I don't know, two weeks, I've had a bunch of people that work at those places walk over and strike up conversations, as well as um, new people to the neighborhood because they, you know, they figured out who the military guys are already and that's the interesting side of those conversations is they all ask the same thing where do i go for information where do i go to meet people in my area that are that are awake to what's going on so yeah i really recommend um jack lawson's books the uh civil defense manuals and um uh anyway the the idea that you know you have to defend your neighborhood you can't defend a, a stick-built house in the suburbs just 
you have to rally your people in the neighborhood to turn it into like a little fortified medieval village at any scale and level. And to do that, you're going to have to pre-identify the people that are your future cadre. So it's it's enlightened self-interest to get out and meet your neighbors. You have to know your neighbors for the Who's week. Book? Who's you have book? to know the weak points and you have to know the strong points. The it, Jack Lawson and uh, it's like the Civil Defense Manual and uh, it, he had another book before that's out of print. But you have to know your neighbors because when things go completely crazy in the downtown and the, the supermarkets are all on fire and you have your first community meeting, you're going to want to already know, okay, these are like the six guys I've already had a conversation with. So we're going to kind of guide this meeting. So the 20 or 30 normies that are there that are looking for guidance, there's already five or six of you that have an idea of where you're steering this. I say become a PC, a precinct commitment or a precinct delegate. I know Steve and I have discussions about this all the time, but I, I do a lot of door knocking, which I despise, by the way. Uh, but going out and getting people registered to vote, communicating issues, getting them to show up to some of these community right. meetings. Sure. Um, it's important work. And, and you do learn a lot about your neighbors uh, through, you know, through doing that. Yeah. And I, I hate, I'm not on Facebook at all, but there's like a Facebook group in our neighborhood that's strictly like, you know, dog is on the loose or whatever things. That's what people are breaking into cars, that kind of news. And you can have like a, even if you have to put up flyers, like neighborhood cleanup of this uh, ditch where everybody throws their trash, you're going to find who are the 10 guys that'll show up to something like that. Those are the 10 guys. Like, how are we going to figure out how to get this car out of the retention pond? The county says they're not going to do it. You know, how are we, let's put our heads together and figure out how we're going to do something. The 10 guys that show up, those are the 10 guys you need to know. Yeah, nextdoor.com is another one. That's a that's another website. I think that's run in China. That's like uh, libs of that's like uh, TikTok. Nextdoor. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty woke, but it's like China run. It's a China data harvesting thing. But anyway, that, that, that I'm, doesn't I'm, surprise me. But even if it's at the level of flyers, like on stop signs, if you if you put up a notice, and this has happened in our neighborhood a few times. You know, there's a like a place coming in where everybody just happens to want to throw their last beer can before they get home and the wife kicks their ass. You say, let's have a cleanup. You know, let's do you, you announce something like that. The 10 people that show up are the 10 people that you want behind you at the big meeting when the crisis happens. Because you don't want to walk into the meeting of 40 where the three blue hairs are taking over the, the organization because you'll just leave. It's like this is pointless. But if you've already identified six or seven dudes and, and maybe women that are like, they were the ones that showed up when we had to pull that car out of the ditch or, or you know, do clean up the ravine. Those are the ones when, when you have that meeting of 40, you can shut the two blue-haired lesbians down in a second. They, you know, the, the two blue-haired lesbians will take over against sheep. But if there's six sheep, sheep dogs there, the two blue-haired lesbians will flee. But you, you can't just show up as one guy against 39. The two blue-haired lesbians are going to end up being the committee chairwomen. Uh, so many things inappropriate about that, but funny all at the same time. But it, it's, but it's, it's just it's funny. It's, it's true. Because it's if, true. If, if 10 guys show up with, like, you know, wearing camouflage ball caps, then, then the Subaru crowd flees. 
Well, but if AD, they don't show up, then the Subaru crowd runs. Run, the ADS run. syndrome goes away. The, the angry dyke syndrome walks out the door when they, they, when they, they walk right out the door. Then they have their little subcommittee and who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's just wow. funny, it's just funny to you say that. Problems of our time. It's true. Threat list. It's true, though, because most of the HOAs here are, are infested with it. And it's it. Uh, and just try talking to them. It's it's a pointless exercise. Unless if, there's, if you do have self-defense training, if you do have access to a range where you're more than just a customer, you know, and you can do like ladies night, self-defense night, free, free uh, CCW class, anything like that. The women, half of the women that show up, it's because their husband urged them to. Then you meet their husband and it turns out he's a shooter, too. Yeah. But networking with these people now is super important and it'll pay huge dividends because when the, when the shit hits the fan, you don't want to be just one guy showing up at the high school gym and you don't know any of the 50. Because I guarantee you the Subaru lesbians will run it. Unless you walk in there with 10 bros, then you'll run it. But it's it's also important to keep in mind along the same lines. It's not just critical that you know those people it's often critical that they know you. Yes. And, and, and the reason I say that is obviously if they know you've got military background, if they know you've been in theater in, in rough situations, this isn't your first dance, they're going to be willing to listen to you. And when shit's hitting the fan, we don't need 50 people going 50 directions or taking bullshit from somebody who doesn't know their ass from third base. And this is why when I, I ran um, a couple times a week into, into my 60s, and I just now I bicycle, but I do it in my neighborhood. And you see people with their garage doors up, you wave to them, you see the army flag in the garage. You know what I mean? You, you see and you're seen. And then when you're at the grocery store, it's like, hey, man, you know, you were in the army too. And it's, and you, but you have to be out mixing. You cannot do this from the keyboard. The, the virtual friends are not there. Hoorah on that. That's that, you, you know how hard it is to get people to show up to anything, though, Matt? It's, um, it's hard. I love the people who ask the questions, but we invite them to the cigar bar. And we have a different venue for non-cigar but if, people. But, if but, you, but even without having a meeting, just there. be in the neighborhood. Walk, bicycle, walk your dog, ride your bike. Be seen. And you have a lot of opportunities when you're not in a car. When you're in a car, you're zipping past. When you're at bicycle or walking or jogging level, you can just slow down and go, hey, man, you want a hand with that? You guys loading furniture into the truck? You want a hand with that? You got to know the people in the hundred houses around you. Super critical. Yeah. You got to see and be seen. And I've been preaching. And have military bearing. Always have military bearing. Whether or not you get into a discussion about your time in service or not, military bearing really counts. Because when you have the meeting of scared people and you have been seen, you are bicycling, you are jogging, you have helped people load their truck, and you stand up on the picnic table, people will look at you and go, that guy's a leader. 70% of communication is still visual. Body language counts. My, it, it, that's, military bearing was a grade when I was in ROTC. That was yeah, a grade. It was like scored. There's a lot Military of people who won't know what that means. Yeah, most it's, people it's, won't know what that means. It's man. visual leadership. The, the snuffies have to look at that guy and say, "He looks like a he looks like an officer to me." Yeah, 
But the short answer to that is, is, you know, stand up and act like you you have a purpose in life and act like you're in charge and people will believe you're in charge. And it's more than that, right? It's not fake it till you make it. It's stand up straight, have, have you know, some, some uh, cojones about you, get your man card back and be out front and, and lead. And that's we're, different than we, you can't you wait. Know. Yeah. You can't wait for John Wayne to show up. We got to no. be John Wayne. And that's why we were in the military. We, we were in, we were subordinates. We were superiors. We were in stress. We were in crappy weather, dangerous places. We saw people die for a variety of reasons or, you know, friends did pass away in service. And it's like, we know how people deal when they know it's for real. I was on submarines and those guys just as a passenger, those guys were like war footing. And I'm sure it was the same in the Air Force and bomber wings, things like that. These guys, it was not a freaking game. No. They had their war face on every second. They were like, you know, with the sonar headphones on. They had their war face on. It was yeah. not a hypothetical. And the we are the ones that the we came out of that. We came out of that. And we owe it to the rest of the people to to that didn't go through that kind of stress, that crucible. We owe it to the rest of the people to provide that iron in the fire that they can be attracted to to make a bigger, you know, a stronger uh, little structure. But you, it's not just going. It doesn't just come out of the ashes all by itself, like a like a virtual reality hologram. Somebody's got to stand there and say, if nobody else is a leader in my neighborhood, it's got to be me. You can't just yeah. take care of your house and the hell with everybody else because your house isn't bulletproof. No, and that's they, you know that's the other part of it too is. Most people don't think, oh, I'm just going to stay home and defend my house. If 30 guys are coming into your house, you're not you're not stopping them. Yeah, we're you just throwing Molotov cocktails at it. Yeah, you got to have a bunch of people that are willing to defend your entire neighborhood if you want to keep right. 30 people out. And you, that's right. The other piece too is, you know, you can't just be in charge. You got to have people organized into what they're going to do. Like you guys are going to, we're going to rotate people that are going to be on watch. We're going to rotate people that are going to be on the, you know, QRF, quick reaction force, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those things matter. And now you have time to do that now and start having those conversations, but you have to get involved in your but, community. But we, we, the people listening to this, we have to be the catalysts. Yes. We can't plan on somebody else is going to have a program that we're going to join. It may, if that, if it happens, great. But if it doesn't, you can't just, you know, be floundering around in quicksand. You have to be the guy that other people will say, I'll follow him. Since nobody else has an idea, that guy has an idea. I'll follow him. Then, th then we'll go to committees. Who's on the food committee? Who's on the, you know, gate, com gate guard community or uh, watch? But it has to start with somebody standing up and saying, you know, and get that cadre. That's why you got to be out and be seen. Those six or seven other men that maybe you never went shooting with or anything, but when you have the crisis meeting, they're going to come over and say, hey, man, I remember you from that meeting about such and such. And, and you've now got a click that is stronger than the two or three liberals that are going to try to say, but we have to take in the migrants. It's our duty. <laughs> you know, before, before the shooting starts, people will listen to that. After the shooting starts, if that comes up, bang! Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did yeah, you, your car your car's not driving anymore. Anybody else want to talk about immigrants? Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? 
that's, so that, that's the, how that's going to go. The the military burying, I th I think for non military people, um, think of your your grandpa or whomever. It's that kind of soft spoken, calm assertiveness that you go through when, uh, like we have legislative district meetings in a in a building that we share with a bunch of other groups, and every time I walk in there the the church or the rotary club or the whoever was there before they have their chairs set up and their table set up a different way and everybody knows what needs to be done but nobody's setting up chairs like if i show up and there's 20 people in the room i would think that at least five of them would be reorganizing the room and we you know we got to get it done so i just start setting chairs up and go hey we need to get these tables out of here so we can get the chairs up but if you're if you're leading and you're acting and you're doing people are going to follow suit and you don't, I, I don't command, I don't order, I make suggestions while I'm doing stuff. And it's really apparent, I think, for anybody to see if, if someone is, is saying, hey, Matt, uh, you know, we need to secure the perimeter. Dave, can you get some people to go dig a trash pit and, and then, uh, you know, maybe teach somebody to, you know, to separate the plastic from the wood or whatever. And, and now everybody's, everybody's involved in a solution that's focused on a common objective. Now everybody's working together because you're, you're really just kind of influencing. You're not, you're not commanding. You may be leading, but you're, you're, you know, you're a leader when people come to you and ask you questions. You're not a leader. If, if I'm six foot two and, and you're five foot four and I yell at you to go, to go get me a trash bag or whatever, you're going to do it. But that doesn't make me a leader. No, so but just, but in terms of, for people that haven't been in the military, military bearing part of it is stand up straight, look people in the eye, speak yeah. directly, don't speak out of the side of your mouth. Simple, yes, no, tell the truth, be a straight shooter, shake hands, you know, never lie, never weasel, don't overpromise. It all pays dividends. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll second that. And the short answer to what, what we're all saying is, there's no room for betas when this kicks off. So get your man card back, grow a dick, and be out front. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and do what you say. It's a very simple equation. If you stick true to your belief system, other people will rally around you. If you're a wishy-washy douchebag, no one will follow you. Amen. It's very simple. There's there's not a lot of math to this. And I, I know people are going to go crazy in the comments. But that's, that's fine. But all right. Closing comments. Let's start with you, Matt. I, I don't. I can't think of anything else. I mean, just we're, it's going to happen this year, I think. And uh, the the you know the time for uh, class and education is almost over. Dave, I think there's a practical side to the conversation that we just had. Identifying people with critical skills, like medical skills, or construction skills, or mechanic skills, those are obvious things to look for in people. But you also have to look towards character and trust. And that, I think, is, is one of those parts of military bearing that we're talking about. It's, it's like when you put out messaging, you have to be true to that message. You can't be in doublespeak mode or anything like that. People have to know they can trust you. Um, yeah, so I think people... People need to use the time that we have at hand. It's like Steve, you said something in your last, your last sit rep. You said uh, we're not going to get this time back. Use yeah. the time as as profitably as possible. Think about it. War game things out. Play what if, what if, what if. There's a million scenarios. 
you've got to understand the contingencies. You've got to understand your options. You want to think, you know, you guys were talking about these situations and I was thinking about the outlaw Josie Wales when, when the group of travelers, you know, congealed as a group to defend themselves against the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the federals that were hunting them down in Mexico. And, uh, you know, Steve, you were talking about, okay, we're going to go out here. You're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be the maneuver element and so-and-so is going to do this. And I just think about Clint Eastwood telling, you know, talking to people about, you know, keep that fire going so you can slap iron on it. If, if some and cauterize something, if things get hot, um, <laughs> you know, that was, that was just such a great little community defense. I, you know, it's a terrific film top to bottom, but, but, uh, anyhow. It's people need to use this time to best advantage. I find personally that I have, I had literally the first handful of people I encountered at work today. Uh, we're talking about the election. We're talking about the circumstances. We're talking about what's coming up this year. People are getting focused. Take advantage of it. Don't be afraid to be labeled as some conspiracy nut. Everybody's thinking about these things. You've got to take the initiative. Yep. Amen. True. Well, you know, I'm always going to say you should have a minimum of 15 gallons of fresh, ready to drink water in your home away from cleaning supplies, pet food, cat litter, and 15 gallons is a minimum uh, and not your pool and not whatever, but actual ready to drink water. But a lot of what we've been experimenting with, everybody talks about food. And I mean, I assume anybody who's who's not at a subsistence level of existence has some kind of can of garbanzo beans in their pantry that they're going to eat when they're hungry. But I've been experimenting a lot with all those dry things that I have in my food stores, the, the barley, you know, the whole barley, dry beans, brown rice versus white rice, making bread, pasta, tortillas out of flour, making stuff, cooking stuff that isn't dead food that's in a box or ready to eat or out of a can it's good to just kind of practice those skills and if you're on the trooper channel you see me do it like i'm gonna light a fire right now and just cook some stuff you know just let's do it but uh, i see a lot of uh we don't sell the dehydrated bitcoin and bomb shelter beans on on any of our channels because we want people to learn we don't want to just sell them bullshit. so a lot of our content is focused on using the stuff that you have not the stuff that you buy from the shit fairy, but the stuff that you actually have and then getting comfortable with it. So along with that, this journey I've had over the last few weeks has been using those little tiny arrow gardens. They're like, de they're like desktop or countertop size hydroponic things that are all integrated. It basically it's like some LED lights and a, and a water pump. You put seeds in there, the seeds grow, you eat the stuff that the seeds sprout. Uh, you can also do this with the sprouting where you put seeds in a mason jar, basically you put some water on it, they sprout, you eat the sprouts and getting over that because if, if you buy the same sprouts in a plastic container at the grocery store in the organic section, you're like, oh, look at these delicious, nutritious things. But when you're growing them at home on your kitchen countertop and you, you, know, you got the cat and the dog and the kids and the whatever, it's, it's the same exact thing, but you need to start getting into the mindset of self-sufficiency and learning how to use any of this food that you may have stored up, preferably dry food that, that has a longevity to it. But the last part of that, I think I want to add is I always, 
remind people that when you're when you're in a posture where you don't have access to fresh food and you're eating all the high starch, high salt, low nutrition, uh, fill my stomach up type of stuff, you want to augment that with nutrition. And I don't want to say, you know, buy this multivitamin or, or buy that, but I will say this, you should be augmenting any food that you eat with some type of nutrition, vitamin supplements, and you don't have to be a nutritionist but you have to understand that like a daily multivitamin, if you take a whole multivitamin every day in the morning, you're going to start to accumulate some things in your body in excess. And then other things like vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc are just going to purge out with your urine. Um, and you're not going to be stacking up. You're going to be inadequate or deficient in certain things. So my only advice here is start experimenting with a dry food. Do your own research on what multivitamins you think you need. Augment those multivitamins with very specific vitamins like your your Z, your you know your C, your zinc, your B, whatever, um, and know which ones you should be taking every day or or twice a day, and which things you should take every other day. For me, my multivitamin, I cut it in half, and I take half in the morning and half at night, and then I skip a day, and then I take half in the morning, half at night. If I'm out in the field or I'm I'm putting myself in a lot more exerted mode, then I'll up that nutritional intake, but I always augment that with lots of water and only being mindful of the fact that we're not in a hundred percent organic food, you know, everything I eat off a tree or a bush or whatever. So that's, that's what I want to leave everybody with is, is use your dry food, start learning how to use that flour that you have or the dry beans you have or the dry rice you have. Uh, look at your nutritional profile, stack up vitamins are cheap right now, get a thousand of them, stick them in your cabinet and, uh, and then just get ready with that after you get the water thing squared away. Thanks, Drew. And uh, a couple of admin notes before I dive into my uh, my last comments. If you hit the thumbs up, that tells Rumble that uh, to spread this and put put it in the algorithm and moves it to the top so more people will see it. And we want to get the word out, so help us get the word out. And and Troops right. We don't. I don't sell anything. You know, on the gun side of the house on this. I, I don't monetize this at all. And it's it's this is strictly for getting people prepared for what's coming. And to that end, you know, what you've all heard, if you listen to Monday's show, I talk about everything we just talked about on Monday's show from the perspective of making human connections. That's the most important thing because we don't have a lot of time left before this kicks off. Whether that's a month, two months, six months, or a year before this kicks off, that's not a lot of time. And you should use that time wisely. I, I, I I've, I've made it a point to reach out to people every week and tell at least one person every week what I feel about them and how much I care about them. And I'm going to keep doing that until the balloon goes up and probably after, because you don't know how long you have left or how long this is going to go once it starts. So make the most of it. And I meant what I said about getting your man card back. You know, there's something to be said for strong people out front and, you're not always right. That's why you coordinate with other people. And Troop's right about leadership. It's not about barking orders. It's about being the calmest person in the room when everybody else is losing their minds. And, you know, I raise the volume on the show off and on, mainly to get people's attention. But Troop will tell you, that's not how I am in real life. I very rarely lose my patience in real life. But on the show, there is a certain amount of emphasis you want to put on things to keep people's attention. You heard Matt do it tonight. You've heard Dave do it. Well, kind of. Dave's not really the I lose my shit kind of guy. But that day is coming. 
And with the right motivation, I could lose my shit with the best of them. All right. Well, yeah, I'm going to hold my breath on that one. <laughs> I, I can bring hell and hell. <laughs> All right. I'm not waiting for your head to lift off your body and what that, that topic's going to be. But uh, again, I, I appreciate all you guys jumping on. I know this no problem. late for you guys on the on the East Coast. I, I appreciate you guys taking your time to do this every week. I know the audience really, really, really appreciates it because I get the, the emails and I've gotten a barrage just since we've been online. But if you hear me say anything tonight, is that all, all of us are, are doing this to help get people ready. We're not doing it for any other reason. So help us help you help us help you and go out and make human connections and lose the fear. God bless everyone. Have a good night. One team, yep. one fight. Good night. Good night.